0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We're continuing our work through Nehemiah chapter 7 today, and uh, we're looking at the building of the walls has just been completed after only 50 days, and so that taught people to depend on God, to see His work as important, and so they learned how to work through diversity, or adversity, diversity is today, work through adversity, work together until the job was complete. And you know and I know too that a town or a city or a community is much more than the walls and the gates and the houses. They are a group of people. Home and Park community has been around For a long time, and I'll talk more about this in future days, but when you look at how Holman Park Baptist Church, we started as a church plant to minister to the down and out of Tin Town in Holman Park. And it's the community, the need there that moved our church to form. It was a movement of God. And so in the first half of the book of Nehemiah, God's people lived to rebuild the walls of their city. So what do you do when that work is done? Well, the truth is, as we see today, the work for rebuilding had just begun. You see, it was time to organize the community of God's people so that all who were willing could enjoy the quality of life that God wanted them to have. And Nehemiah knew before the last gate was hung and before the last bolt was tightened that the rebuilding of the walls, the physical rebuilding of the walls, was just the beginning of the work that God had called him to do. So that brings us to a life point before we, or a life lesson. I've got three today. The first one is, is that if we treasure the work God accomplishes through us, we will do whatever it takes to protect it. If we truly treasure the work that God accomplishes through us, we will do whatever it takes to protect it. And my friends, the devil is going and working against every church that's meeting this morning. He's trying to work against Holman Park Baptist Church, against Freedom Center, against Southside, against Orville, against people not only in our district, but also all over the world he 's trying to work, trying to attack just like we see the adversaries in nehemiah 's life, so my friends if if we believe that God has done a work here in Homeland Park Baptist Church, we should do whatever it takes to protect that. You see, Nehemiah knew that the best way to protect Jerusalem was to rebuild not only god 's not only the walls of Jerusalem, but to rebuild God's people. And so with that said, let's look at our passages today. The first thing that we see in verses one through two is that rebuilding people requires capable leadership. Rebuilding people requires capable leadership. It says in verse one, after the wall was finished and I had set up the doors in the gates, The gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. So what we see here is we see a shift, even in the first verse. Do you see it? Right after he mentions the gates, he talks about the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites. In that moment, he shifts from property to people. The priority now is not the property that they're building, but the people who live within it. And he said, I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother, Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Nehemiah's first priority here was what? Not only to keep guard of what's going on, but to establish the worship of God. From the very first verse of this chapter, worship, getting the Levites, which were the temple workers, and the priests, And the singers, in other words, let's get the worship team in here. Let's get the organ cranked back up. Let's get the piano cranked back up. Let's get back to doing what we came back to Jerusalem to do, which is to worship the one true God that has brought us back. It would have been easy to sit back and remark, Oh, you know what, Nehemiah, we did such a good job. Look at I put that brick right there, and my grandpappy, he put that one over there. He even put his initials on it. And then there's some bricks over there that my third cousin did. And we just started talking about the bricks. We started talking about, oh, how beautiful it is. People are going to just flock to our city to see our beautiful walls. Meanwhile, within the walls, there are no homes. There are no business. There's no worship. And there is nothing going on. The walls were rebuilt. But the people needed to be rebuilt too. So they could return their worship of God with greater glory and freedom than they've ever had before. Because again, remember, they had been exiled. They had been pushed out. They had been thrown away from their homeland, many of them. And so they were worshipping the best way they could, but now they have come back to Jerusalem. And we see here that God provided leaders for Nehemiah to place. The gates were not the only protection that the people of Jerusalem needed. They needed leaders who were willing to guard the wall. So Nehemiah needed to enlist the help of people who were capable. Now let me ask you something. If you are building a team, what are you looking for? Are you looking for people that are good at whatever task that you're doing? Let me ask you something. Would you take somebody that's really good at what they're doing, but they have a terrible attitude? Or would you have somebody that's teachable, that is faithful, that could grow into that position? We all are looking for teams. We're all looking for leaders. And not only in a job sense, not only in a church sense, but men, our families need us to lead. Women, our families need us to lead. Your children are looking at you and their idea of the most bestest, that's terrible English, but the most bestest Christian is what they see in their parents and their aunts, and their uncles, and their grandmothers, and grandfathers. Again, I go back to uh, one of the leadership gurus I like to listen to, John Maxwell. And he says that people say, well, I'm not a leader. He defines leadership as anyone who has influence. And so if you have influence over anyone, you are a leader. And if we were to take that and, and boil that down to the bottom you would see that all of us are leaders in some way. But we see here that the first thing he looks for is the type of leader God uses. Number one, a leader that cares for God and his people. You see, God chose, I mean, Nehemiah chose Hanani to govern the people inside the walls. This was Nehemiah's brother. God chose His brother to bring to Nehemiah because if you go back and you look at chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 you will see that Nehemiah's brother's Hanani is the one that came to him and said Nehemiah our people need help. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He had his life. He had his comfort. He had everything that he needed. But his brother comes back and puts the burden of his people onto Nehemiah. He was a messenger. Even in verse chapter 1 we see that God using Hanani and we see him using him again because he cared enough. Hanani cared enough to make the journey out of the Jerusalem that was within shambles with terrible broken down walls. He not only said, oh, this is terrible. We'll just pray about it. No. He got his people together and he went to see somebody that could do something about it. His brother, Nehemiah. Look, we don't need armchair quarterbacks to tell us everything we need to fix. Or if it were me, I would. What we need to do is, you know what I'm talking about. We need people that will say, yes, yes. This is what needs to be done, and let's do something about it. So not only that, a leader is faithful and fearful. What does that mean, faithful and fearful? Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, says, For he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. This combination is what God needs for any man or woman to use them greatly. It is a, a healthy dose of faith in God and fear of God. Well, how in the world does that work together? Are you someone who is faithful? When you say you're going to do something, are you going to do it? I've known people before. There was this uh, one gentleman, my mom called him meaning to, because every time he would talk say he would do something, he would say, well, I'm meaning to do this, but they never followed through. You know, anybody that's a meaning to, oh yeah, I, I'm going to do that. I'll get to that. If you say you're going to go somewhere or be somewhere, be there on time, not late and not caring that you're late. Can people depend on you? Would your family say that you're dependable? Would God say that you're dependable? To see the work of God being rebuilt at Homeland Park Baptist Church, we need men and women who are dependable and a pastor who is dependable. But So that's the faithful part of it. But what about fearing God? Fearing God is not in the sense that God's up to get you. Fearing God is not in the sense like Halloween is coming up and there's going to be ghouls and goblins walking around your neighborhood and boo, and I'm scared. No. Fearing God means just like when you were younger and your parent, your mother said, wait until your father gets home. You know, I loved my father, but I knew that when my father was coming home, if it got to that level... That I feared when I saw that truck pulling in the driveway. And I really think that's one of the biggest factors in Christianity today, folks, and in many churches. We have lost the fear and reverence of God. To many people, he's just a toothless old man giving out worthless candies to everybody when they bum their knee. That is not God. God is faithful, but he is someone who deserves our reverence and fear, because you see there's something about the fear of God versus the fear of man, and we see two verses I wanted to share with you proverbs twenty nine twenty five Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. I have known people that have been working in jobs. That something unethical is going on and they say, no, God wouldn't want me to be part of that. They lose their job, but you know what? God takes care of them and they go on, they get a different job and that whole situation just falls apart. God will take care of you. Sometimes it's the harder choice, but it's the better choice. We don't need to fear what people can do to us. I, I learned a long time ago, and it took me a while to get to this, and I don't, I'm not saying this to sound cavalier at all, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I learned this not at this church, but in a different position I was serving. I don't need this job. Well, say, Preacher, you're, you're going to have to eat. You're going to have to take care. You, you're right. Do I want to work here and do I want to serve here? Absolutely. I am blessed more than I could ever imagine. But here it is at the end of the day. If something happens tomorrow and you all wise up and say 10 years is enough, he needs to get out of here. If you all wise up and say, okay, we're going to break fellowship. I know that God will take care of me. I know that God will take care of you. Sometimes your job ends and you didn't want it to. Sometimes your family changes you didn't want it to. Sometimes someone passes on you didn't want them to and things change and then that fear comes in. And so what we need to realize is that whatever we are depending on, if it is not God, we don't need to fear. If I lose a job, I'll get another one. If I lose some money, maybe I can find some somewhere else. If I miss a meal, prayerfully I'll find someone some somewhere else. But fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. The second thing is Ecclesiastes 12:13. The richest man ever to live. The man was so rich that he would have his workers travel hundreds of miles, climb mountains to go up to the snow caps just to get ice and bring it back in ice boxes For his drink. That was King Solomon. He had everything. And at the end of his chapter, after he had tried to pursue wisdom, after he had tried to pursue folly, after he had tried to live the American dream, he says in verse 13 of chapter 12, that's the whole story. Here is my final conclusion. He bottom lines it right here. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. Nehemiah gave concrete examples of this with the constant criticism and threats that were levied against him. Can you imagine being a Nehemiah's cabinet? Can you imagine being working alongside Nehemiah? Or all of a sudden you see Sanballat, Tobiah, and all these guys riding up. You're like, oh no, here it goes. And you see Nehemiah time after time after time. Keep focus. By keeping two things. And I should ask you, but I'm not. It's discernment and determination. Because discernment and determination equals focus. And they saw this in Nehemiah's life. So that these things that some people act like, they, I mean, to Blitz and all these guys, they thought that they were big men on campus. Ha ha! We're going to get him now. We're going to threaten his life. We're going to get people scared. We're going to smear his name. We're going to write an open letter and and cause and and spread some lies. We're going to get him. But time after time, it backfires and it backfires and it backfires because Nehemiah didn't fear those guys. He feared God. What would happen if the people and the things that try to intimidate you realized that you do not fear them anymore, but you feared God. Learn from Nehemiah when looking for leaders. Nehemiah was setting up his leadership team. He was looking for faithful people that could be trusted to carry out the work. And he was looking for God-fearing people who could be expected to carry out that work according to God's word. So life lesson number two. Don't seek or be. Don't seek or be someone who only wants to serve themselves. Look for those who seek to serve God and his people. Do you want to succeed? Do you want to build a team around you that will do God's work? Don't seek someone or be someone that is looking only for their own needs and their own reputation. Next we go to verse 3. Rebuilding means follow through. It says in verse 3, I said to them, don't leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut the bar and bar the doors appoint the residents, okay, appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Someone will, some will serve as a sentry post and some in front of their own homes. So Nehemiah says, look, the gates are finished. And then when the, when the gates are closed at night, we got to make sure that they're being guarded. We don't need to just trust the gates to keep us safe. We need to post people on. And so he started the neighborhood watch. He asked people that were just simple residents, but there again, by this time, were there really just simple residents there? Because the residents had built the walls. The residents had built the walls with a trowel in one hand and a spear in the other. So they had gotten some real-world experience, and they said, look, we need to take care. We need to guard what God has done. We need to watch out for ourselves, and more importantly, we have to watch out for others too. Nehemiah put Jerusalem on high alert. Walls alone would not protect the people. And my friends, for your family, for your relationships, for this church, be on your guard. Just because we have a beautiful sanctuary that we worship in and God has blessed us to where we are able to continue the work that God has for us. Let us not take for granted and let us not rest on our laurels because the enemy is coming and we need to look out not only for ourselves and one another. Be careful what you let come through your iPad to your child at your home. Be careful what you let come into your eyes and ears at your computer and television at your home. Be careful what you let coming into your ears when you're talking to people on the phone or at work. Be careful of all of these influences that you let come into your life and be on guard because they are like a Trojan horse. They seek to come in and make you fear people rather than the fear God. And so we have to do a follow through. It's not just about building the walls. It's about rebuilding the people and about being on our God as they follow through. Just like the basketball player. here. I I Randomly for two years coached a basketball team of youth because they didn't have anybody else and I knew nothing about basketball. So Google was my friend and we, uh, we, we played for two years, but I did learn this and some of you basketball guys can school me later on this. But, uh, basically what I understand is like when you're, when you're shooting a shot, you basically aim with your hand or actually the hand is just shoots the ball, you aim with your elbow. And wherever your elbow goes, if you follow straight through, the ball's supposed to roll off your hand, and it's almost like this is like the... Am I right? Am I right? Okay. I'm Donna, I was right. Y'all <laughs> here today, I was right about something. I can't do it. But but seriously, it's not about... You know, you just don't come up there and brick it and skyhook it like... Uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar used to do. That was a basketball player. Uh, but basically, it's the follow-through. You have to take your hand and follow through with the shot and make sure you don't bend your elbow. And so technically, if you do that right, you will make it every time. But friends, I'm telling you what. If God does, the worst thing that could happen to us at Homeland Park Baptist Church is have a little bit of success. Because when we have a little bit of success... And rest on our laurels, the devil's coming. We've got to constantly be on guard. Be on guard because that job is for everyone. Uh, and why do, why do they need to have people keep guard even at night? I'm going to give you a great illustration. Walmart greeters. You don't see them as much lately. Now they're, they're receipt checkers as you leave. But back in the day, you used to walk into Walmart, what would they say? Hello, welcome to Walmart. You're like, well, thank you. I kind of thought when I retire one day, I could be a Walmart greeter. That would be awesome. Hello, how are you? Men's wear on the left, ladies wear on the right, milk in the back of the store. The concept of the greeter actually began in 1980 when the founder of Walmart, Sam Walton, walked into a Louisiana location and he was met by a friendly man who immediately offered to help him find what he needed. Walton was struck by the idea that a person stationed near the entrance would help give Walmart more of a neighborhood store feel. And that's what it did. There is nothing more frustrating than to be in a store, especially a large store that carries construction supplies, and you're looking for one little thing, and there's nobody... To help you. And then when you find somebody, they're wearing the brown vest. You know what the brown vest means? That means I don't work here. I've got one aisle I'm worried about. I don't know. Anyway. Come on, James. Get back on track. So the point was, was that not only did it help to give the, the appearance that it was a smaller store and you had customer service at the at the top of your list, that you had One Walmart greeter at the door. Now you only have one register keeper at every store. James. (laughs) Donna says, move on. My point is, not only did it have that effect on people, but it also, did you know it saved money as well? People stole less because they felt like somebody was watching them. And folks, let me tell you what. If you feel like that you have got people watching your back, if you feel like you are not alone, if you feel like that we are in this together, you will be more apt to do what the Lord has called you to do because we're doing it together. There is benefits to that. So the third life point is this. Rebuilding is not a one-time action. It is a constant process of following through with the plans God has given you and guarding what has been accomplished. Whether it be you personally or your family or your career or your ministry, you have to follow through. If you tell your child you're going to be at the basketball game, unless there are some extenuating circumstances, you better be at that basketball game. If you tell your wife you're going to be home for dinner, you better have a good reason if you're not home for dinner at that time. We can say, oh, I, I'm meaning to. I'll, I'll do it. But if we have a reputation of letting people down and we don't have that follow through, it hinders us and it hinders the work that God wants to do. Then uh, verses 4 through 5, we see a rebuilt work needs people. It says, at the time the city was large and spacious, but the population was small and none of the houses had been rebuilt. So I love this, verse 5, So God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and leaders of the city, along with the ordinary citizens, for registration. I had found the genealogical records of those who had first returned to Judah. This is what was written there. I love the fact in verse 5 it says, God gave me the idea. The city had walls, but they needed what they call infrastructure. They needed buildings. They needed roads. They needed homes. They needed stores. They needed a marketplace. They needed public works. They needed things that worked. Nehemiah depended on God for this. There was no prepackaged program that says, "This is how, rebuild the, the walls in Jerusalem in five easy steps. And if you pay us a million dollars, we'll show you how to do it. No. It was day to day depending on God. God burdened his heart. In verse 1. God made a way in verse in chapter 2. And then God protected Nehemiah up until this point. And so now God was giving Nehemiah the next steps in Nehemiah chapter 7. And that's what's exciting to me, is that you can see how God has worked, but if he's always giving you not the whole picture, but at least the next step. Enough to take the next step of faith and trust him. Because if he gives us too much, information, we're likely to take it on ourselves to do it. Nehemiah trusted God and took him at his word. You and I need to do the same. Just a little side note here. If if you ever feel like God is, is distant, if you ever feel like that you can't figure out his will for your life, if you ever figure you're dealing with a situation and you don't know what to do, And you've talked to your friends and it just kinda fell flat. You've looked online and you've googled it and it's just not really you're not getting a whole lot of a whole lot of traction and you want to know what God really wants. This is what you gotta read. My friends, if you're not taking a daily intake of this into your life, you're not gonna know exactly what God wants for your life. This is the source. You want to think like God? You want to know what God wants? It's right here. Next we see people are important to God. Verse 6. Here is the list of Jewish exiles on the previous provinces who returned from their captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar had deported them to Babylon, but now they returned to Jerusalem and the towns in Judah where they originally lived. This is important because these Jews that had been exiled, they had not been back to Jerusalem in their hometown in 70 years. What kind of effort do you think it took for them to to pull up everything that they were doing in this Babylonian territory and to come back to Jerusalem? It took faith. It took effort. I'm sure there were people who said, I don't want to go back. My family is here. And they said, no, the family is going back. They uprooted and they went home. Can you imagine what it was like to return home after being gone for 70 years and seeing the walls nice and beautiful, but everything within the walls you have to rebuild? When I was thinking about this concept, I looked back in my photos back in 2011, my wife and I, took a trip to Richmond, Virginia with friends, and I was able to show them where I grew up for my first 13 years of my life. And it was amazing that, you know, everything reminded me of the old ways, but everything was, was different. It was the same, but it was different. Can you, can you put yourself in that situation where you have just taken your family and you have gone home to where God has called you? They had a new perspective Remember, knowing that you were at home in the place that God created specifically for you goes a long way. And then we see a list of families. Nehemiah, why in the world do they show this list of families? And this is what I was picking on Katie about, telling her I was going to read all these names. Uh, I'm not, uh, but I challenge you to do the same. I'll tell you what I do. I go to the Bible app and I have it read it to me. He does a lot better job than I do. But the truth of the matter is, why do you have a long list of names? Basically, they had to take a census. They had to figure out, now that the walls are rebuilt, they had to figure out what they had to work with. And then we go down to verses 70 through 72. It says, some of the family leaders gave gifts for the work. The governor gave the treasury 1,000 gold coins, 50 gold basins, 530 robes of the priest, the other leaders gave the treasury of a total of 20,000 gold coins and some 2,750 pounds of silver for the work. The rest of the people gave 20,000 gold coins, about 2,500 pounds of silver, and 67 robes for the priest. Why did I read that? You know me, I don't harp on money a whole lot, but I do want to let you know that it's in there. And my brother Tony Evans put it this way, God never ordains things that he does not fund. God does, not adore, God does not ordain things that he, has not, he does not fund. And so I truly believe, as God gives us our steps for today and tomorrow, that God will use the faithfulness of our people to make sure that that happens. And then finally, in verse 73, So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and some of the common people settled near Jerusalem. The rest of the people returned to their own towns throughout Israel. What do we learn from this? Rebuilding is not about the walls. Again, rebuilding is about the people. The things that God is calling us to do here as a church is not about the walls. It's not about the structure. It's about the people, the people within here that we need to equip and the people outside of these walls we need to reach. The work of the building, the walls, taught the people to depend on God and to see his work as important and to work until it was complete. But God was rebuilding Jerusalem. Why was God rebuilding Jerusalem? Because this is where his son, Jesus Christ, would come from. And everything that God does is to prepare for, to facilitate, and to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the question is for you and for I, will we be a part of rebuilding walls for the purpose of watching God rebuild people let 's pray, God, thank you so much for our time this morning and lord i i, I don 't want to leave without offering an invitation, Lord, if there 's someone here that that doesn 't know you as their savior and Lord and they want to know you and they want they're tired of trying to to live life on their own. They have no direction they 've tried to read your word it doesn 't make sense they 're not sure. If they even have you in their lives, this is step one, Lord, of making sure that they have a relationship with you, that they have asked you to come into their life, forgive them of their sins and to make you make them your child. Maybe someone just wants to come to the altar and pray or join this church, whatever it may be. This decision is for you.